What a great promise. That, that's, thank you, Anthony. Thank you, Renee. That's so nice and so beautiful. That's the truth. His love just never gives up, never fails on, on us. It, it goes on and on and on and on. And that's where we are in Scripture. And I, I want a couple of things I want to do. First things first, dads, happy Father's Day. Yay. God bless you guys. Um, you know, um, there, there, there's no secret. The Scripture teaches that, that the men in, 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 the, in the church ought to be the spiritual leaders. We ought to be all of that. And I don't think there's any woman that, that longs more than for her husband to be that within the home. A spiritual leader to her children, to herself, to her family, to all the things that goes on. And so, guys, I am, I am honored to be a part of, of all of us that, that say thank you. All of you dads, we love you very much. And we, uh, we pray that you have a great day. I don't know what's before you all, uh, whatever it is. I pray that God will really make it really special for you. And that you'll have a great, great time with your family or your loved ones or your friends or, or whomever. Just, just have a great, great day. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to what an exciting place in the Word of God. Um, I pondered the, the, uh, Romans chapter 8. Forgive me. I didn't even mention. Romans chapter 8. Uh, have you wondered, maybe as I have, why is God so adamant about our knowing how secure we are in Christ? It seems like in this particular chapter, but actually throughout the last few chapters of Romans, Paul is just hitting this, this point time after time after time. And, and I, I looked in my commentaries and I, I couldn't find an answer to my query of why is our Lord so adamant about this. And so I just prayed about it, thought about it, and may I foolishly give you what is my idea on it. So it's, it's just my, my chance to try to answer this for myself. And if it fits with you, fine. But I believe it's because so many of us feel a sense of inadequacy within ourselves and within our faith, mostly because of our sin, um, and especially Satan's schemes against us. I, I, I thought of that. I turned to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10, 11, and 12. Paul writes these words. Finally, he says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Then he says, Put on the full armor of God, so that you might be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Our struggle, Paul writes, is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers. It's against powers, world forces in darkness, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. It's, it is my contention for you to think through that there is little more than Satan would want to do in your life than to render you and me inactive within our faith. When we take ourselves out of the race, so to speak, out of the ministry that God has given to us, whether it be for our family, whether it be for people we work with, people we, we love, whomever, that he would remove us out of the race and therefore take away some blessings that he wants to bless us with as we serve him. Paul says, be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. 
Do you remember, I know you do, in Romans chapter 7, we just a few weeks ago, it was Paul who sensed, a, who had a, a sense of failure within his life. He, he exclaimed, wretched man that I am, who's going to set me free from this body of death? Well, here in verses 28, 29, and 30, Paul secures the issue of our forever and eternally being assured of who we are in Christ so that we would not fall prey to the schemes of the devil and so that we would march forward in our representation of who he is within our lives so that we would be the light into this world in which we live, so that we would be salt on this earth that, that is so in desperately in need of people to be able to stand to stand for the things of God. I want that for you and me so much. I'm going to share with you in a little while. I was in the middle of this particular study just this week. I think it was, I don't remember now, it was perhaps Wednesday, it was perhaps Thursday, that two gentlemen came to my door, actually one at first, um, and they, it was a Jehovah's Witness. And, uh, and so we had a, a, a quite a time together, to be honest with you. I felt like I was ready for bear anyways because I was studying in this. And uh, here he comes to my door. And uh, I'm going to share with you what took place in, in, that, in that little incident. But um, what I also want to share is what to do when someone comes to your door to share with you about either Mormonism or being a Jehovah's Witness or whatever cult there might be. How do you handle that? What is the process that you need to do within your life? Uh, do you feel ready to defend your faith before these types of people? I want to share with you that in a moment. First, I want to read with you just Romans 28, 29, and 30, chapter 8, verses 28, 29, and 30. I know that we've already uh, studied verse 28 last week, so we won't touch on that, but we want to read it because it sets forth the tone of verses 29 and 30. I've entitled this message, uh, uh, The Purpose of Salvation. In the middle of verse 29, you're going to see the true purpose of why you and I ought to be saved and why you and I ought to be so assured of our salvation. There are two things that are mentioned in the middle of verse 29. Actually, the first part of verse 29 and all of verse 30 go together. The middle is the purpose of why we've been saved. Now, let's read it with that in mind, and I'll try to explain it a little bit better as we go along. Verse 28, Paul writes, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, and whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now, Father, please take this, this, um, this time that we have with you. And Father, use it for your glory. Thank you for the dads here in this room, all the men really in this room. Uh, would you bless them along with the others that we prayed for in the other services? And just care for them 
Father, uh, allow us as men to understand the, the wonderful privilege that we have to be the spiritual leaders of our home and our families and, and to be the men that you called us to be within our lives, Father. I pray that you will bless this time. I pray that you would take this word of, our, of yours and that you would hide it in our hearts so that we might not sin against you. And that you would open up our eyes, dear Father, so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Take me, move me aside, I beg of you, Father, please. Let me not hinder what you want to say to each of us. And so, Father, we just pray your blessings on, on the dads here, the men here, on Bill and Gina as they go off to Cambodia in time, and that you'll watch over them. And that, Father, you'll bless this, your word. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I'll tell you how it begins. This is a really a great place in Scripture. The word for, just in verse 29, for whom God foreknew. That refers us back to verse 28. That's why I wanted to read verse 28 with you. It refers us back to those who are called. Paul wants to remind us that he's not talking about anyone being elected to be lost. He is speaking to those who are, verse 28, called according to God's purpose. Predestination, called, foreknowledge, is never used in connection with the lost or the unsaved. If you hear someone talking about someone being predestined to be lost, you'll know that they're not being scriptural if they were to say something like that. When the Bible speaks of predestination, it means that when God saves you, He is going to see you through to eternity. He will never, ever lose a one of us. See, salvation and eternal security is God's eternal purpose for those of us who have trusted in Him. Let me give you an example, wonderful example. The book of Luke, the 15th chapter, verses 3 through 7, there is the parable that Jesus gives about the good shepherd and the lost sheep. Remember it? He has, the shepherd has, a hundred sheep. He has 99 of them. One of them has gone astray. One of them is lost. And out of the hundred sheep, the 99 that are left, he leaves them, it is, we are told, and he is not satisfied with keeping the 99. He goes back out and rescues the one who was lost, and he brought it back in the fold. In fact, let me read to you out of there. It says in verse 5 of Luke chapter 15, when he, the good shepherd, the good shepherd obviously represents Jesus Christ. The sheep, us, believers. So he says, when he found the one that was lost, I love this example in verse 5. He lays it on his shoulders. It's like a picture some of you maybe have seen one time or another of a painting of, of, of Jesus carrying this, this, this lamb on his shoulders. He lays it on his shoulders and he rejoices, it says. Then it says in the sixth verse of, of Luke 15, When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, and he said to them, Rejoice with me. I have found my sheep which was lost. You, know, you see, that parable, Jesus was explaining, if he justifies 100 sheep, then he's going to glorify all 100 sheep. It's a wonderful uh, truth of the Word of God that everyone who comes to Christ by faith is going to be with him in heaven. 
He will not lose a one of us. As a matter of fact, when Jesus Christ was teaching on this earth, when he was there uh, amongst the, the people that, that just denied who he was, for the most part in John chapter 10, this is where I was studying, I think, or I've, it was at least fresh on my memory when these guys came to my door. In John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking to the, the Pharisees, the religious self-righteous that, that had denied him. And they said to him, will you do us a favor? I'm paraphrasing. Will you tell us plainly, who are you? He said to them, I've already told you, but you would not believe. He then said, those who hear my voice, follow me and I know them. Then he said these words, and I give eternal life to them. This is in John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. They will never perish. No one will be able to snatch them out of my hand, says Jesus Christ. Then he says, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one will be able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. Then he says these words, and I and my Father are one. Remember? To which they wanted to pick up stones to stone him. He asked them a question. Why do you want to stone me? For what good works have I done that makes you want to stone me? They say it has nothing to do with what you've done. It has everything to do with what you're saying. Because you, being a man, have just made yourself out to be God. Now I explained that to these guys on my door. It was an interesting turn of events the way they reasoned out of what Jesus Christ said and the way they reasoned out of why they wanted to stone him was beyond amazing to me. I stood there in awe. I said, "You well, actually, we were sitting on the steps of my porch. You've got to be kidding me. That's what you've come up with? These guys knew exactly who he was, wanted to stone him to death because he made himself out to be God, and you say he's not? Let me go back to where we are in Romans chapter 8. This ought to be to you one of the most comforting doctrines and promises of the Word of God. In these most uncertain days that you and I live, that we can believe, that we can trust in a God who will forever care for us and not lose a one of us has got to be so comforting. In the, in the midst of all of this insecurity in which we live, God has a purpose for your life. So if, in fact, you're secure in your faith, if, in fact, He wants you to become all that God wants you to be, and that you don't allow Satan to, to, to move you away from your faith, to move you into a place where you feel inadequate, wretched man, wretched woman that I am, who's going to set me free, where you feel like, I really can't do anything, I'm not adequate. That's exactly what Satan wants from you. That's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to stop you from serving the Lord, from getting the blessings that God so much wants to, to bring your way. If that's true, then there ought to be a purpose in your life. What is your purpose as a believer in Jesus Christ? In the midst of all of this security, God has a purpose, and it's right in the middle of verse 29. It's twofold. 
Let me read it to you right again. We have, it says, verse 29, for those of us who he foreknew, he also predestined, he predestined us to be saved, and here is his purpose, so that we would be conformed into the image of his Son, Jesus Christ, and so that we would honor Jesus as the firstborn or the preeminent one amongst all the brethren. Remember, verse 28, God causes all things to work together for good to those who us, of us who love him, to those of us who are called according to his purpose. And so we see his purpose. We're to be conformed into the image of Christ. That's a, that is where you sanctify yourself. That is a, a, a process in which you sense that God is, is asking you to be like his son, and how do you do that? How do we become like that? Well, in, in the other way is that His purpose is that we would, we would honor Jesus within our lives as the firstborn. In other words, the one who is preeminent amongst many brethren. Let's, let's take a look at the first first. The first purpose, from the beginning of time, God desired for mankind to be conformed into the image of Himself. Now, let me just throw this out at you. Far too many of us as believers live our lives in an attempt to make Jesus like us instead of us like Him. Let me give you a little example. We get off on this idea of what we think God wants us to do, but we're not sure. We don't check it with time or with, with others or, or with Scripture, and we go off and do something, and we, we kind of spin out of control. And what do we do? Oh, God, come help us. We try to get Him to move within our, our area of what we're doing instead of, first and foremost, getting ourselves into His will, doing what He wants of us, so that when we are spinning anywhere out of control, we see God help us, and He's right there because we're, we're a part of His will. That takes time, folks. That takes time understanding what is God's will for you within, in your life. What does he want from you? So, we are to be conformed into the image of his Son. It says in 1 John 3, 2, It has not yet appeared what, what we will be, but we know that when he appears, we will be just like him. What a blessing. 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says, We are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So then, what is the second pur pur purpose? If we are to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, the second purpose is for our salvation, God desires to glorify His Son through us by our making Him preeminent, the firstborn amongst many brethren. That's God's plan for everybody. In the words of the text of verse 29, it is God's intent for His Son, Jesus Christ, to be the firstborn, that means to be the preeminent one among many brethren, namely that Jesus Christ would be uniquely preeminent within yours and my life. Now we've been taught in Romans chapter 8 by Paul, in the 8th chapter, the 15th, ver 15th verse, that we have been adopted into the family of God. Jesus Christ, we know from Scripture, is the true and only Son of God, but He, Jesus, calls us brothers and sisters. We, in return, call the Father, Abba, Father, Daddy. We are adopted into the family. 
God's purpose for us, adopted into the family of Christ, is to become conformed into the image of His Son. And we are therefore to give Jesus Christ first place in everything within our lives. Listen to what Paul beautifully says of God's purpose of glorifying His Son in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9, 10, and 11. Paul writes, For this reason God highly exalted Jesus Christ. He bestowed upon Jesus Christ the name which is above every name, preeminence. So that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee, yours and mine, will bow, those who are in heaven, those who are on earth, and those who are under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And for what reason? For the glory of God the Father. We glorify the Lord when we give Him preeminence, when we bow before Him and allow them to be above every other name. You see, God's original purpose in creation, in the garden, was to make people in His divine image. A people who would give Him honor, who would glorify Him, and faithfully give Him His rightful place of preeminence. And how? By obedience. By serving Him and being obedient to Him. And then what happened? Well, Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They inalienated themselves from God, and they brought a curse upon themselves. Not only them, but the curse fell on us as well. Therefore, God had to devise a plan. He provided a way of bringing falling mankind back to Himself. He did it through His Son, Jesus Christ. He provided a way by placing all the sins of you and me. I know you know all this. It, all of our sins fell upon Him. It says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, He caused the iniquity, the sin of us all, to fall on His Son, Jesus Christ, upon the cross. All of us. So to those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on our behalf are saved from our sins and we are given God's own glory. That's a, that should be an ongoing praise coming out of your lips on a daily basis. It shouldn't. I mean, when is the last time that you've just thanked God from the very depth of your soul for your salvation? Thanked Him for your eternal life. Thanked Him for the peace and the joy and the salvation that He's brought into your life. But your greatest thanks, our greatest thanks, ought to be the unspeakable privilege that we have been given to glorify God by how we live. By being conformed into His image and by, being, by making Him preeminent first amongst all of us. That, that's a... That is a very simple thing to do, by the way. I, if it, because I can do it. You can do it. I mean, do you have things in your life? Let me share with you. I tell you, I have, I have little things in my life that remind me. My watch beeps. This one doesn't. But my doorbell, my watch beeps on the hour to, 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 to remind me. What am I doing? How am I serving the Lord? Have I, how far have I strayed away? Or am I right on target still? How am I doing? I do that. That's one of mine. Another is when I'm on my computer, uh, just automatically, when I bold some things, or I underline some things, or I italicize, every time I do those little things, I'm reminded of, of actually some people in particular, or the church in general. And I pray for you. I just, it's an ongoing basis. 
And one of the, my favorite things is, forgive me for this, maybe it's too personal. When I shower is when I give, I give the chance to just pray unto the Lord. Because I feel like I'm washing off all the dirt, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm cleansing myself. And I, and I automatically, when I take a shower, I automatically start to thank Lord for cleansing me. I thank Him for how kind He has been to me. How, how gracious, you know. And I start naming the, the good things. A, a, a pastor friend of mine, years and years ago, I, I went into his home and he used to speak for me for the athletes. And on his shelf, he had a bunch of books. And I said, what are those books? And he said, take a look at one. Pull any one out. I said, really? Yeah, take it out. I pulled it out, and they were all handwritten. And they were all, and I opened up, and they were all in his writing. He told me about it. All the, the praises that he received from the Lord. He made a journal of all the things that God honored him with. All of the times that God blessed him. All of the times that God answered any prayers that he was praying for. And he just journaled them. And he said, every once in a while when I'm feeling down, I go and I take a, a, one of those books and I start reading and I remind myself of how faithful God is. Do you have anything like that in your life? Find some place where you can, you can give God his due for what he has done for you. I, I can promise you this. It helps. I've sometimes gone to take a shower when I was upset with Kay. By the time I'm through with the shower, I go back. I usually go to her and say, you know, forgive me. Even when she's wrong, I'm, I'll say, true, it's true. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> thanks, John. Give me five on that. I want to hear that. But that, that's the truth. Even, even though I know she's wrong, I will go to her and say, you know, I want to ask your forgiveness. There's a last thing I need to do and want to do is to argue with you. So I ask your forgiveness that I even been participated in this. And, and in time, trust, almost 100%, she'll come to me later and say, it wasn't your fault. That's a, that's a breakthrough. She'll say, it wasn't your fault. Uh, I, I, was at, I was at fault. And, I, and it gives me an opportunity to say, it doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't really matter, does it? Our love for one another is what matters, doesn't it? I'm telling you, I don't know if you do things like this in your life, but it helps for me. If it helps you, I, I'm honored if you would try whatever. Listen, listen what Paul further says about, about this whole idea of making Christ preeminent. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, he tells us that Jesus Christ is not only the head of the body. You see, who is the head of this church? It's not the elders. It's not me. It's, it's, it's our Lord. He's the head of this church. We are, with all of our hearts, trying to follow Him. Best we can. Best we can. So Paul says, Christ not only is the head of the church, the body, but He is also the beginning. He is, Paul writes in Colossians 1.18, He is the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself might come to have first place in everything. So it's scriptural. To give Him preeminence in your life, to be conformed into His image, and then to honor Him with how you live is, is very scriptural. It's the way to live. So, we are to be conformed into the image of Christ. I encourage you to try to do that. I encourage you to get to understand more about who He is so that you feel more comfortable living like Him. And then give Him first place in everything. In your family, in your work, in your love, in everything that you do. Allow Him to be first and foremost, preeminent. Now, if that's the truth, and it is, the middle of verse 29, 
Then the rest of verse 28, 29, and 30 is God's wonderful progression towards what I believe God considers to be a true believer in Jesus Christ. Let's look at it. It's, it's just more of the same of what Paul has been teaching us. Verse 28, let me read it to you again. It's a great verse. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him, to those who are called according to His purpose. Verse 29, just the first part of it. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. Now, jump down to verse 30. For those whom He predestined, He also called. For those whom He called, He also justified. For these whom He justified, He also glorified. And so we see, He also is mentioned four times. That's critical. The, the repetition of the phrase, He also, accentuates the unity that links each element to the next. He also predestined, He also called, He also justified, He also glorified. In other words, no one whom God foreknows or foreknew will fail to be predestined or called or justified or glorified. It is also significant to know when you see the words predestined, called, justified, glorified, to note the tense of these words and the time that each element is mentioned. God is speaking here of the Lord's redemptive work from the very eternity past to the eternity future and everything else in between. What Paul is saying here is, is true for all believers from all time. Security in Jesus Christ is so absolute. It is so fixed in God's eyes that even salvation to a believer not yet born can be expressed in the past tense. Can be expressed as if it has already occurred. Here's why. God is not bound by time like you and I are. There is a sense as if all of these things have already happened to him. So let's look at verse 29. For whom he foreknew. Redemption, salvation begins with God's foreknowledge of you. A believer is someone whom God foreknew. Let me give you an example. In the Old Testament, listen to Jeremiah chapter 1, the first part of verse 5. Jeremiah writes, actually he's quoting God, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That's what God says. Before you were born, He says, I consecrated you. There's no, there's no guessing with God. He foreknew all of this. The word foreknew is a, a very difficult to pronounce Greek word. It's P-R-O-G-I-N-O-S-K-O. It's a compounded word. It, it means much more than simply knowing in advance. It is an intimacy that only God possesses. He foreknew. Which brings us then, He predestines. We move from foreknowledge, which looks at the very beginning of God's purpose for mankind, to predestination, which looks at the end of God's purpose for mankind. Predestined is the word P-R-O-O-R-I-Z-O. It literally means to mark out or to appoint or to determine beforehand. Are, are you sensing at all how much God is in control of everything? 
It's a very comforting fact. In Amos chapter 3, verse 2, the Lord says to Israel, You only have I chosen among all the families of the earth. God knew, God chose, God predetermined Israel to be His people long before it happened. He also, therefore, calls. Now, I love this. Verse 30. He also calls. God's divine plan of redemption and salvation through predestination leads to His calling. And it is here, in God's eternal plan, that directly intersects our lives here and now, in our time. Because those who are called are those in whom the Holy Spirit works to lead us to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. I am reminded of this. Let me, let me not forget where I'm at. This is so critical because it, 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 it relates to this, the calling of God. When I was playing baseball, when I was playing in, in, in Spokane, it was AAA in the Pacific Coast League, there was a catcher we had who was a, a born-again believer. Well, he was, he was Southern Baptist, hellfire brimstone. He, invited, we, he lived in Oklahoma, but he played with us in Spokane. And when I came to Oklahoma, he invited me to his home. Had a liking for me. Don't know why, but he did. He was our catcher. And, and he invited me to his home, uh, me and another guy. And he said to me later in life, when I became a believer, and I told him I became a believer in Hawaii, he said, oh, heck, he said, you were a believer back in Oklahoma. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, don't you remember you came to my house for, for dinner? I said, yeah, I remember coming to your house for dinner. He said, don't you, don't you remember I was sharing Christ with you the whole night? I, I honestly don't remember that. I, honestly, I didn't tell him that to embarrass him. I honestly don't remember him sharing Christ with me that night. He said, do you remember I gave you a Bible? I don't remember. He gave me a Bible. I'll tell you what I probably did back in those days. I probably threw it away as soon as I got back to the hotel or left it there with all the Gideon Bibles. What, what did I want with a Bible? I, I, was, I was not a Christian and not living like a Christian. And yet he said that he, he knows for certain that I prayed to receive Christ with him at that dinner at his home and gave me a Bible to read. I don't remember one instant of it. But I can remember March the... March the 12th, 1973. I can remember it as vividly as ever. That was the day in Hawaii that I fell on my knees and I asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. And I believe that at that point in time, I became saved, that Christ came into my heart and forgave me of my sin. You see, when God calls, you know it. You have a sense of it. It is when the Holy Spirit moves within your heart and he leads you to saving faith in Christ. Listen to what Paul writes about being called in Romans chapter 10, verses 13, 14, and 15. He says, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. He says in verse 14, now he speaks to people like uh, the Bricks who will be going to Cambodia, but he speaks to all of us. He says in verse 14 of Romans chapter 10, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And then Paul writes, how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news 
of good things. I wrote here for you and for me, tell me, do you have beautiful feet? I don't mean attractive feet. Mine are ugly as all get out. I'm talking about beautiful feet who brings good news of good things to people. When I was studying the other day, I told you about these gentlemen that came to my door. I answered the door and immediately I knew what was up. I knew it was either Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. Actually, it was just one of them. A guy that looked older than me, if you can imagine. Um, and he, uh, he started to inviting me to a conference and he gave me this pamphlet, this little paper pamphlet. And he said, I'd like to invite you to something. I said, well, tell me what you, what you, who are you representing? What do you want me to come there for? I'd, I'd already known either Mormon or Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. I said, well, I said, particularly, I, I wouldn't come to this. I said, uh, tell me about it, though. So he started to tell me about it. And I said, well, what do you, what do you folks believe? I hold this pamphlet up. I says, where does it say anything about Jesus Christ? What do you believe about Jesus Christ? And, and he says, well, you know. And I said, do you believe he's God? He says, well, not, not God. of Not God. And then I took him to John chapter 10, verses 28, where I was studying. And I said, why do you think they picked up stones to stone him? And I says, it says to you clearly and he, he, tried to, he tried to excuse out of why they, they, they were saying that. They didn't know what they were saying. They weren't really calling him God. I said, boy, I said, you read in a lot, don't you? I said, you read in a lot that's not there. To which, about that time, another gentleman came around the corner, an African-American gentleman. Good. He was such a good-looking man. He was dressed to the T. He came around the corner, and his name was... Oh, I forgot his name. Forgot his name. I think it was Michael, but it doesn't matter. And he came around the corner, and he's. I said, "Looks like we got another visitor." And uh, so this guy comes up. I believe it was Michael. And uh, and I said, "Well, what do you say, Mike?" I said, "Who is Jesus Christ to you?" And he says, "Well, you know." And he went around and and started to using. And I said, "Do you not believe he's God?" And so I started really getting passionate. We were sitting on the steps of my uh, of my home, and and uh, let me give you a hint. If anybody, either any cult comes to your house, you don't have to listen to them. You have no, they have no right to take your ear. Since they've come to your home, you have every right to say anything you want to them. At least that's what I tell them. And I, I have a pencil and a paper, and I said, look, Michael, I said, give me your name, give me your address, and I'll come to your house when I want to hear about being a Jehovah's Witness. And I said, I, I, will, I promise you I'll come. And, and you can talk to me all you want, but right now I don't want you to say a thing because you're so, you, you are so lost. And he got a little mad at me at that. Don't blame him. I was a little aggressive. And he said, uh, uh, he said, you seem to be very passionate. And I said, you know what I think, Michael, I'm doing? He says, what? I said, I think I'm fighting for your soul. I think I'm fighting Satan right now, not you. I think I'm fighting Satan for your soul because I said, you go and die Today, believe in what you believe in, you're going to go to hell. Well, I did that on purpose because I knew that was going to get a reaction. And sure enough, he, you, could, you could see him just arch, you know. He didn't like that at all. And he said, who are you to tell me where I'm going? I says, I'm not. I'm not telling you. I'm telling you what the Bible says. You deny Jesus Christ as you're denying him, and you're destined to hell. And uh, with that, the both of them got a little upset, and they wanted to leave, and I, I let them leave. Um, I think... <laughs> No, I, I didn't let them get... I, I, I would really encourage you not to allow them to talk to you. If you don't feel that you can defend your faith correctly at the time, you don't need to talk to them. There's, they don't have the right to come in 
I never, ever once invited one of them into my house. Never. I sit on the door. I, sit, I mean, excuse me, sit on the porch, and we talk. And I get my Bible, and we just, we just have a, a time of it. And I, I'll talk to them normally as long as they'll stay. And um, I would encourage you to do that. You see, sometimes you can't go out and share, but the Lord brings people right to your house. So <laughs> it gives you a chance to have a beautiful feet right then and there uh, and just give all the news that you can. It says that we should always give thanks for our God because He has chosen you from the very beginning. It says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Verse 14 says, Because it is He who called you through the gospel. Then in verse 30, after it says whom He has called, He also justifies. Justifies means it, 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 that you are right with God. We've already explained that term. It is just as if I'd never sinned. You've been justified, completely saved. The Bible tells you and me that all of us have sinned, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But the next verse is that being justified as a gift by God's grace, God's gift to you and me. And these whom He has justified, He also ultimately glorifies. Now this is amazing because Paul is emphasizing the believer's eternal security when he talks about you and I have been glorified. No one whom God foreknows will fail to be predestined, called, justified, and glorified. This promise of our final glory has no uncertain hope to it because Paul is putting the phrase these he also glorified in the past tense as if it has already happened to everyone whom God has justified just as if we've not sinned because he has forgiven us our sins. He glorifies us. You are as much in heaven right now as you'll... You just have, we just haven't, we haven't passed through that, that point of death or until the Lord comes back. But we're there in God's eyes we are there because He is not encumbered by time. That's God's guarantee. When Paul wrote under the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, he said these words, Those who obtain the salvation, I pray that's every single one of us here, which is in Jesus Christ, will receive it, will receive with it eternal glory. You have it. Live like it. Live like it. Be assured of it. Don't let Satan scheme against you. Don't let him take, take your legs out from under you, so to speak. Let him, uh, don't let him render you inactive for the cause of Christ. Live for him. Your purpose in life is to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, and your second purpose is to give him first place in everything. It's an amazing and a wonderful thing to do with your life. So this Father Day, enjoy yourself, folks. Enjoy your husbands, your dads. Enjoy one another, but mostly, mostly enjoy the Lord. I, I uh, had the privilege of having breakfast yesterday morning with my son and, and daughter-in-law and uh, the, the, our two grandkids. And we just, we really had some, we really had a great time. The best time was when the meal came. We were at El Farlito's. They took me to a good Mexican meal. And when the meal came, my son said, Dad, 
let me pray this time. And um, to hear my son pray was the greatest gift I could ever receive. This young man is really growing in his faith. It's really fun to watch. Um, I pray that you'll have a wonderful time with your loved ones and that God will bless you so, so much. I don't know why I just thought about Randy Collins, who's, uh, his boy was kidnapped from him five years ago today. Today was, is Mickey, was today his birthday to, to, uh, to boot? Was this uh, Randy's birthday? No. Maybe just Father's Day. But his son was adopted. His wife was from Japan, and she took, um, took him, and he, and he can't get to him, and he's in Japan right now. And he was here in the first service, and he's just filled with tears. It's a hard day for him. And just, if you think of him, lift him up. His name is, is Randy. And um, lift him up. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this, this, these people. We have one more week here, Father, in this uh, nice place, this, this school. And then we get to go into our, our own building. What a joy that will be, Father. Um, so in the meantime, will you continue to bless the people of this church, the, the dear people who do so much and serve you so faithfully. Lord, watch over us all. Make this day really special for each, each dad here, each man here. Uh, and bless Randy wherever he might be right now. Watch over him, Father. In Jesus' precious name, amen.